Yeah, the next guy I make has to be able to like swing a sword or something because you I just can't. had your first D and D death. Yeah, I didn't have a death in you the cool. Her- well, yes, I did from that. spores in the heroic, interesting way that I assume many people often even delight in dying in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, no, I died from uh, mold. Yep, I was the only one who died from mold. Yep. I was the only one who died, period. And I was I died of mold doing something that was completely optional and which the group five minutes later found a workaround around the mold to solve for a very minor piece of treasure they were looking for. <laughs> they just like threw a hook at it instead of instead of you me. dropping down like <laughs> you're in in in, in mission <laughs> mission impossible. Anyway, the point is We're mad about time, it. Next time like, I, I felt compelled to be the guy who jumped in the mold, right? Because it's not like I was f- killing anybody the rest of the time. Like, I wanted to, like, contribute, right? I wanted to be useful to yeah. the team. And I felt like I hadn't really been useful to the team. I was kind of a druid figure. and so. But we were in places where we being were, a druid wasn't helpful. Yeah, we were just, like, inside caves and stuff. And so it's like I wasn't really doing anything that particularly skillful or useful related to my character. So I was like, all right, I can go down there and get the thing, you know, and hopefully have some feat of strength to have contributed to the team. And I said I died of mold and then in the next room you all killed the dragon and got a bunch of experience points and all these things and I just sat there and ate whoppers if I remember correctly. (laughs) And some hot tamales. Yeah. Well it turns out Zavros the Forgotten uh, not mm-hmm. forgotten yet because you're still a little bitter. No, I'm very bitter. But everybody, no, everybody has their first death. My next character will exit. His whole backstory is going to be avenging. Yeah, his friend who well, died once, of mold. Once I turned inside out because I touched a mirror. Oh, yeah. But see, that's interesting. <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway, the next guy is going to be just the biggest meat sack you can possibly find, right? It's just going to be like, give me a blunt object and as much armor as you can put on me and let me run wild because... Oh, man. Anyway. So, for for those of you who don't do tabletop RPGs or um, play Dungeons and Dragons, you can skip ahead, but I do want to tell you, Eric, about um, the best... I wasn't here for that, but like the best death in D&D I've ever heard of Mm-hmm. which is um, our DM's brother, Todd. They were playing a game, and they were doing a dungeon crawl. And his character like could take a potion and turn invisible or whatever. Um, and this is, like, years ago now, right? Yeah. Um, so he turned invisible, and they're in this dungeon, but then a gelatinous cube shows up. You don't, you've never experienced one before. I know before, a gelatinous but, cube, but, though. Yeah. They're gelatinous cubes yeah. that basically like can't be hurt because they're jelly, yeah. and they like suck you in, and then you like die, yeah. right? Right. But so he's invisible, and he ends up getting sucked up by the gelatinous cube. But nobody in the rest of the party knows, knows that because, because he's invisible. Invisible. Wow. And so it's what a lot they're of doing factors at once. <laughs> what they start doing is they start they like shoot a couple of arrows at the cube, mm-hmm. but they end up hitting. 
their party member, Todd, who's inside the gelatinous cube so, but invisible. Invisible Todd is in the cube also getting shot by his friends. <laughs> and then all you see is like blood start coming <laughs> out That's of the good. cube. <laughs> it was just like the the most ridiculous thing. And like this is when like no cross table talk is the best because yeah, right. like they didn't know where he was. They right. thought that he was just like often doing right, whatever yeah. and like being like a thief or I'm not even yeah, sure. But sure. like he was just getting Shot impaled by while his... in the cube. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. See that even that rules. Like <laughs> I like slipped on a banana peel basically and then like No, 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 no. You were being lowered down like uh Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Like that's very cool. You just happened to get molded. Yeah, I which did. isn't great, and we were not smart enough to light the mold on fire and burn you. Yeah, to save your life. But yeah. anyway, I even rolled to stay alive twice, failed both times. Yeah. It was awful. They tried to take pity on me, give me a guardrail. <laughs> it didn't work. Anyway, welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. What the With heck us did... in spirit is Zavros the Forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck date is it? It's March 29th. Yes. Is that right? That is correct. God. Um, time is flying, is why I say that. It feels like things are moving very quickly. But Well, the snow is melting. That's what's happening. No, like we're getting is... our personalities back. The snow is not melting, Laura, because every single day I have what's known as the melt check. <laughs> um, where I go stand by the window and check to see how the snow is doing because I'm very intent on mm. all the snow melting. And it's not making nearly enough progress. Um, but you have eastern exposure, which is going to be some of the slowest. Yeah, it's horrible. It's yeah. like my backyard is like a frozen lake right yeah. now. It's the worst. But anyway, um, we are talking about... Love. We're talking about love. Today. Um, in a way... Not nearly as spicy as that, I promise. But uh, before we get into love as it theoretically relates to um, writing and agenting and all these different things, um, how about the basic rundown? Absolutely. So not a huge amount to report. We yeah. have on Patreon our normal query uh, query show and our yep. first pages show. And we would love it if you would send your queries and your first pages for us to critique on yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, we're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. And just a note, like these are behind a paywall, but if you cannot afford it, just send us an email, printrunpodcast yeah. at gmail.com, and uh, we will give you access, no questions asked. And that is always the policy, will forever be the policy. Get the access that you need. Um, and we have completed our office hours for March, um, but we will be having them again in April. We sure will. I'll try to keep my toddler from like running through the room like a demon this next time. That was quite a crucible. He's of very an hour. cute though. <laughs> He's a cute demon. Um, oh my god. <laughs> and we post these dates and the links for these zooms on Patreon, but they are available to all that post is behind a pay is not behind a paywall. Um, so if you are thinking, I have like one question, I just like need an agent, to, like I need two minutes of somebody's time who mm-hmm. like does yeah. an agenting job, like come on in. And if you can't make it, um, you can send us your questions yeah. by email or theoretically by People Twitter. People DM that them to yeah. me sometimes. DMing is yeah. totally fine. Yeah. Um, you can send them to the Print Run account if... 
Uh, you don't care who answers, but you can send it to us directly if you would like one of us particularly to answer the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Oh, oh, I did attend my first like conference since since COVID this weekend. How was it? Um, Tell us about it. It was it was really really lovely. I so it was here, right? It was Minnesota yeah. Writers Digest. Was it a Writers Digest uh, thing or it was, was it? It was not. It was, was not, a, like a, a, just a writing workshop thing. Yeah, okay. Um, and it was lovely. I did like 21 or 22 individual critiques. Critiques, yeah. So like each 10 minutes long where people came and they like pitched me and we talked through like how to rewrite your query and answering slots. your questions. Well, let me just do some quick math here. 21 slots. Yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's a gauntlet. It was, like, I feel like it people was don't realize how much of a gauntlet that is. It was fun. You know, it's actually way more energizing <clears throat> to do a critique than it is to take, like, just a pitch where you give a yes or a no. Yes. Um, yes. Because you're not needing to, like, break somebody's heart instead. Right. You, like, if somebody's book is not for you, it doesn't matter because they're you're getting... you're talking about it. You're trying to figure something out. We're yeah, trying to, like, help more, you out. It's way more interesting. Yeah. Um, which is way more fun. But I also taught an entire hour on comp titles. Uh, which is an important part of your metadata paragraph. Yes. But um, what I have noticed <laughs> based on the people that attended that and the critiques that I had and also the questions we've been having over office hours is that um, perhaps I need to be presenting that entire course to people, maybe one of the office I hours. I get a lot of comp title questions. Too. Yeah. We so, got a bunch last night even. So, so we I should, think we should maybe do like a devoted session on yeah, that. I yeah, think, I think maybe for April, yeah. um, I actually like did not run this by you before I'm saying it. Yeah, that's for great. The, this yeah. is how all of our programming happens, by the way. I learned, <laughs> I learned, like I asked Laura what the rundown is so that I know what it is, just like you. Like I actually never, like I get told the same thing. Yeah. I learn things right when you guys do. Yeah. So. But I think uh, my office hours this month will be a recorded sort of mm. zoomy version of this class because I think it would be very helpful and I think it's a good place to start. Um, but again, because it will be taking place of the office hours, it'll be free. Um, the recording of it, of course, will be be behind a paywall. Yep. But again, if you can't afford it, just like, let us know. Um, but anyway, if you want to take an entire hour-long course on comp titles, uh, we'll get that up. pay attention. <laughs> okay, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. So why don't we start, Laura, with... The context you mean it in, um, because we are not talking about anyone's romantic life probably today. Probably. I don't know. Maybe we're, we've become that kind of podcast. But <laughs> um, what do you mean by what do you mean by love? So I am currently close to queries. So uh-huh. what that means is I am ripping through yeah. all of the things that I've requested because yeah. I liked the sound of way too many books. Yeah. Um, and so I've been having to ask myself a, like a question every day about like. Do I love this book enough to like sign this author and work with them? Uh huh. Um, and I've been having thoughts about that, uh, sort of beyond the yes, I love this book. No, I don't love this book. Um, but I, but I want to sort of talk about the concept of like an agent or an editor loving a project and thus taking it on in a business context. I want to talk about that too, and the reason. I feel like it's something that is worth talking about more than any, more than just like in passing, is that 
it's imagery that's presented to people all the time, yeah. right? Like when you go online or you hear people tell their stories, especially industry people like agents and editors, right? I love this book. I read <clears throat> it so quickly. I right. couldn't yeah, put yeah. it down. Every sing- yeah, exactly. Every single – and I I do this too when it's things that I love. Like I, people love talking about their love of different projects and it's always presented as the means through which someone gets to a yes with regard to jumping through a publishing hoop, right? Like you got your agent because their agent loved your book and the editor signed it because they couldn't put it down and they loved it. And it's all about, it's like this weirdly, like no one actually knows what love means in this yeah. concept, in this context. And oftentimes <laughs> when we're talking even just in my correspondence with editors. Like, I get told a lot, for instance. I didn't love it. I didn't love it, or I did love it, but it wasn't right. Like, there's all, you know, it's this totally amorphous concept that has come to sort of be this stand-in for every sort of other kind of rationale that happens in the acquisitions process Mm -hmm. all the way through the pipeline. And I can imagine for writers, it's fairly maddening, you know, because you're trying to pin down, how do I make someone love the book? It's like... I don't know because it doesn't mean anything. It means some, or it means something different all the time. Yeah. And so maybe the place to start, Laura, is like, how? Do, like, tell me what it means for you to love a book. Well, okay. So a manuscript I think, on submission. Right. So I think the most important thing to note in the beginning of this conversation is that I work only in fiction. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. And so in terms of fiction, the very sort of. I guess the f- the first thing, and this is gonna sound like so sad, but do I do I like this book enough, and do I like all parts of this book enough to read it like six to ten times? I Man, that's like the whole battle for me. I don't think that's <laughs> sad. I think that's yeah. the. It's like I don't. <laughs> that is something that I feel people maybe underrate as a force in yeah. our work specifically because. I feel like we probably we probably read the book more times than anybody like, else than anybody except else the writer. Besides like I think I probably read the books more than an editor. Even like a careful editor who does a good job on the edits. Like I looked at it a bunch before. Like I don't know, it just feels like often we are the ones who mm-hmm. read the manuscript a bunch of times yeah. the most. Because and, we read it to acquire and we may or may not look at it like one or two times depending if we read like the first chunk and then we you know request more material and we Um, want to be willing to do that forever man like you gotta like that magic you feel the first time you read something really great you're not gonna feel the ephemeral stuff on times three and four you know what I mean like it still might you still might be able to look at it and say oh this is really good you know I really love this part but you're not gonna have I guess you're, maybe that's too strong, but like you probably aren't going to have the same emotional response every single time. You're you not going to cry thing. the fourth time. Exactly, you read that's what the book. I mean. That's what I mean. And so it's like you have to be able to see something in it beyond that visceral, you know, early impression, and, and not get bored of it. And that's that's kind of difficult sometimes, yeah. you know, because we read it to acquire it. We read it to make edits. We read those edits. We like a book might go through, I mean at least one round of edits, I would say with you and me. Not every agent does a round of edits. But like we do that and if yeah. we end up getting an R&R from an editor, then we do that and we Again, might skim yeah. it through to write the the pitch and <coughs> you know, we yeah. might read it through when we have the arc and like there's just a lot of places where we just like have to keep engaging with that text. 
in changing ways. Um, Some of the silliest read-throughs I've done have come on the level of, okay, I edited a book or I acquired a book. Mm -hmm. Acquire is the wrong word for what we do. Signed a project, I Mm -hmm. guess, is better. Um, And I'll read it and like it based on that. And then I'll edit it and send it off to the writer and they'll go do however many months of work or whatever it is on it. Then they'll send it back to me and it's time for me to write the pitch and I will literally just like have to reread the book just to remember what happens in it. You yeah, know? the pitch like, the pitch skim we'll have, is classic. We'll have read so many other like I don't know. It's just like the point is we go through these books from start to finish a lot, and it does make that storybook feeling that gets posted about all the time like that falls away pretty fast, right? Like there has to be something stronger there. And so again, like Laura, I'm just interested in. Like when you say you love a project enough mm-hmm. to take it on, what all goes into that? Like what all? Because more more than just an immediate knee jerk feeling, obviously. Yeah, I I would say that it is. I mean, honestly, like a huge part of it is the knee jerk feeling. Okay. Um, because I, if I think too hard about what my brand is as an agent and kind of what I'm known for and like how how a book fits within the taste and the types of books I am successful selling. Mm-hmm. Um, I start making like borders and like limits to it. Yeah. Whereas like if if it is that sort of knee jerk feeling, it could be a book that's sort of outside of a category that I've done a ton in or it could be cross genre in a way I've never worked on before. But if it has that same spirit, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess yeah. I should say, like if I know like in my gut immediately that like this is a Laura book mm-hmm. and lo- like a Laura book, what I'm ter- talking about, like not in terms of like the books I like to read for fun or the books like Laura <clears throat> likes to read generally, but more of like the books Laura Zatz agent yeah. does. And that's key. Like, because yeah. you're talking about a vision for being able to work on it and sell it, right? Yeah, and like it's it's very very important for people to know the types of books and the types of taste that I have. Yeah. Um, even kind of across genre, and and so like I if if I don't want to like build rules around that because yeah. so much of what I work on is cross genre. Yeah. That. I don't think about it too much. Like, I really, really rely on that gut feeling. Um, And so it's that plus rereading plus just, like, being sort of, like, hungry and thinking about it. Like, if I find myself, like, texting you about it um, and, like, I want to talk about it because that's another thing. Like, I, as as a reader, as, like, a human being who is a reader... I am very sort of protective of my emotional yeah. reading experiences, yeah. and we've talked about that before, <laughs> yeah. which means I am in a very silly job. Um, but when a book make is something that I want to engage with other people with, that's when I know it can be a book I can sell because if it's a book that I don't, I don't feel like talky about, I'm not going to be able to sell it because like that's that's what you do. Well, I was going to say um, like that part is really like enjoying the act of having the same conversation about the book again right. and again and again is really important because like the first thing that I do when I'm getting ready to go out with a project, you know, on submission, like before I start sending those pitch letters and things, I start calling people, right? Yeah. Like I talk to editors 
and I, you know, say, hey, I got this thing coming, you know, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of phone conversations Mm -hmm. and those phone conversations on my end, at least, can be a little bit repetitive because I'm pitching like and you have to be able to generate that enthusiasm on the phone. Like it's one thing to copy and paste an email like your pitch copy into obviously like every email, like every pitch email involves different personalizations and points of emphasis. But like we write the pitch. Like let's just be honest. We write the pitch and then, you know, we sort of use the same copy in different ways. You know, like there's a lot of copy and pasting to save time, right? right. And what's easy about that is you don't have to be emotionally invested in the copy every time. That's not true on the phone. Correct. <clears throat> like you have to be able to summon conversational enthusiasm again and again and again for the book. And so like feeling talky about it is actually what I would say an incredibly operative feeling yeah. for me just because it does translate to like how am I going to work on this? Because like I, I don't know, just like on my end, the thing that I've come to learn or realize, and maybe it's just because I'm a terrible agent or something, but it's because <laughs> every single book takes a lot of work. Yeah. And it should take a lot. Like, sometimes I sign things, and I'm like, boom, I'm going to sell this so fast. This is such a slam dunk. Super easy. Just cash the check now. Um, That's not how it actually and works. It never. <laughs> it has, I mean, I well, not never. It's happened a couple times. But almost always... That's not what happens. Even when the de- even when we end up with a really good deal that everyone's happy with, which because you still got an agent throughout oh the life my God, of the book, you've got, and and even just getting it to the right place, it's like especially in you know nonfiction, where there's so much incremental progress. I find in the pitching, and so much little tweaks along the way. Like you know, when, if I hear from three editors, oh, this element isn't really what we want, at, and it needs to kind of take precedent over this other thing in the book. It's like, okay, well, then the author and I take it back and we do a quick round of edits and we send it back out. Like, there's so many little steps into calibrating mm-hmm. and getting a project exactly right for someone to actually see what it is, you know? And, man, if if you're not willing to do that work, and sometimes, you know, and I find myself sometimes being unwilling to. Like, I, not with projects I've signed, but at the, you know, the signing phase where I'm, like, evaluating something. I can be like, oh, I could see how this could be a good book. Or I could see how someone might be able to sell this. And I just know that this is the sort of thing that would burn me out or I would lose my enthusiasm for very quickly. Or, you know, yeah. like, you have to be willing. I don't know. It's like... Well, the short the shorthand in those sorts of rejections are like I didn't have a vision for it, which sounds like a cop out. It does sound it's, like a cop out. It's not and I actually would be enraged if someone told me that. <laughs> but uh. it's not a cop out. Like it, re- <laughs> it really isn't. Like it is. Like where you're like, I can see that this book is a good book. I can see a bunch of different ways that like the book could sell into the market or be edited towards different things. But you're like, I think you need like conviction and you need like passion for it because you're going to be going over it and going over it and going over it. And the thing is, is if you're not committed to an editorial direction and a vision, it's going to be a shitty edit. Yeah. Like that's just, that's just what it is. And it's also, I mean, Part of the love factor here is responsibility to the project and the person who wrote it, right? What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is 
you know, I have to be willing whenever I sign anything and whenever I work on anything, I have to be willing. I have to believe at all times that I am certain that I'm giving this my all and that I am able, like, I see a route for it that I'm interested in pursuing. Like, if I ever feel about a project, oh, I don't know, I don't know if this is going to sell, I don't think this is happening, then it's my job as an agent to express that feeling to a writer, right? Like, theoretically or and at the upfront phase like if I'm someone mm, maybe like maybe this could sell maybe yeah. it couldn't I guess I'll take a shot I don't want to move forward on that feeling because this is someone's work you know like yeah. this this matters nobody wants to buy a book <clears throat> from somebody who's like eh well and and it's just I know for certain like there's you and I love what we do and we love the projects that we work on these books any book on your list matters way more to the writer than it does to you. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think that that is true. They've spent more time with it. They've poured themselves into it. All these things. And so for me to simply say, oh, I'll give this a shot or I'll half-ass it, it's not good enough. Like, you can't... There's just, like, a more, I think, a moral responsibility on yeah. the part of the agent to really believe that they are the best... Per- like, I ask that all the time of myself. Like, am I the best person to be pitching this? Am I someone who believes that I can put forth a really good faith effort to get this person where they're trying to go. And it's the answer to that has to be yes. And and it's not just for your sake. It's because if somebody does a half-assed job pitching this book, you like a new agent can't re-pitch those places with yeah, more conviction. Just, yeah, it's just that you have to understand that you are – like someone is trusting you. I mean, again, like we're back to like the love image, right? Like right. we are almost like dancing around various imageries around like committed relationships. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like, and I, I, to be clear, like I don't like that sort of imagery as it relates to agent writer or anything like that. But there is some mutual responsibility in this relationship, right? Like it is a working relationship that requires accountability on both sides. And you have to be willing to have the energy to do that you know and And you have to be willing to like keep working with this person and on this book and on their next book if the first one doesn't sell yeah like that you know like you can't be fatigued right away by a project because then after one round if it doesn't go like okay but what's your plan for round two what's the what's the next plan what can we do to put it in a better place yeah, I mean that yeah. was that was one thing that our last agency really I think instilled in us, really drilled into us pretty well. Actually, it was like we were always told when I started at least, like you're signing people, not books. Yeah, right. Again and again and again, we were told that, and I think that really rings very true. Where it's like, you know, you're talking to a person who is going to have more than one manifestation in their writing career than this one document you're looking at. You're gonna, they're going to have other questions, concerns, things that come up in their life, you know, whatever it is that they're going to ask for help navigating. And are you willing to do that? Like, you have to be willing to do all that kind of stuff, too, you know? And I don't know. So is this also <clears throat> true? So with fiction, it's easy to know whether you love it or not because the book is written. Yeah. With nonfiction... Yeah. You, somebody mostly just like has an idea a lot of the time and a little bit of like supporting material, most of which doesn't even go into the actual book. Yeah. How no. does love work? How does like deciding to sign something work in nonfiction? Well, I work on stuff that like I work. I would say basically every single book on my nonfiction list is 
fairly politically charged. I mean, I work on stuff that is across a number of different disciplines, right? Like, I mean, there's, you know, I work with historians, I work with, you know, journalists, you know, people who write about the economy, I work with, you know, people who do essays, um, any number of practices, but all of it has, you know, some real ideological conviction Mm -hmm. behind it. And I think for me to love something, one of the first things, you know, that I have to feel is like, yeah, this book needs to exist you know like yeah this is what they are saying does feel essential and important and i think that it would be be like our body politic or like our discourse would be better if people were looking at this book and and had this book as a as a tool as something that they could look at and discuss um i think that you know i mean I, i think that's really important and i mean otherwise like you know the other part of it is i mean there's such an art to proposal writing I think you know and being able to just see because you're right that it's snippets it's not a whole manuscript but you can tell when someone's got it you Mm. know even in like their discussion of their book like not even in the book like and this is like when I teach proposals this is like the big dichotomy of concepts that I always get to which is like you have to be willing to talk about what's in your book, and then you have to be able to talk about things outside the book and about your book, you know, like as opposed to just describing its subject matter, right? Mm-hmm. And like, why does this book matter to yeah, larger things? Yeah, all yeah. sorts of other things. And when those cases feel really impassioned and important and urgent, like, I don't know, that, that gets me, you know, fired up. And it's like, so there is a lot of that visceral feeling, but it's also, I mean, I mean, I work with. You want to work with celebrities, you know what I mean? I work with (laughs) writers who have probably gotten, you know, I mean, I don't know how to say this without getting explicitly ideological, but, like, socialists and communists don't usually, you know, that is not a very easy track in media. Like, you don't get a huge amount of opportunities, you know, in that sphere in mainstream media. It's just not the market for that. Is very small, you know, or it's very niche, or it's, you know, there's a set amount of publications. Like, not every major paper is looking for, you know, an endless stable of far left commentators. It just doesn't happen, you know. And so it's like anyone I'm working with probably has been grinding for a long time. They're probably not exactly, you know, rolling in the dough. You know, they are probably all the things that you and I are from different points, right? Like overworked and a little bit burned out and (laughs) disillusioned with different stuff as it relates to their writing. But you know what? They've got an idea and they care about something enough to put in way more time than will ever be properly compensated. And I just think like to me, that's where like, that's the feeling that really animates whether or not, you know, I'm taking something on. It's like, do I want to be a part of that fight with this person? Right. And on this project specifically, you know, I mean, and a lot of the time I'll tell writers like this one isn't for me, but send me the next one because I do think that you're promising or whatever it is, you know. And so I don't know. It's like you got to be willing to go through it with people, you know, and because it's hard. Publishing is hard and it's getting harder. Like I understand that it's a um, like these are not boom times, you know, for the debut writer for the, I I don't know, like, 
you have to be willing, even when you see the perfect rosy hypothetical vision, like, and mm-hmm. that happens a lot with every, basically any book I sign, I always have at least 30 minutes sitting with it where I'm like, oh, this is the one. This is the one that's going to make, <laughs> you know, a million bucks. We're going to sell it right away and we're going to, you know, it's going to be easy street from yeah. there. But like, we know that that isn't what happens most of the time. Even the ones that end up being the one will take over your entire life yeah. and, and that so, ends up being the only thing you can work on. Yeah. You've got to be willing. And this is actually, you know, if you want to talk about love as it relates to the writer end on nonfiction, I actually think it's way more interesting because something that happens for writers of essay collections, political arguments, things that you can pitch on proposal is it's very fun up front to talk about all the things you're going to write. It's very fun to talk to editors and agents and hear, you know, people try to court you and maybe then you get your big shining moment where um, you have your book deal and you're locked in and you get to share your publisher's marketplace screenshot and everyone, you know, celebrates that you reached this new career milestone and that you're doing this thing and that you get a chance to kind of say at length. And then you got to write the book and then the confetti <laughs> and then the confetti stops falling and you've got 80,000 words to write by on yourself a deadline. on a deadline. And that is really for a lot of people, for a lot of very, very good writers. That is a hard feeling. That is the, you know. I don't know that like that you have to love your idea when no one else is looking at it besides you. Yeah. You know, and that's true of our work, too. But like, yeah. And true fiction writers at the very beginning. <clears throat> yeah. I yep. mean, there's so many, you know, the moment because publishing is so isolating so much of the time for writers, for us, for everyone, like it's all everyone who works in books at any step in the chain has a feeling that they're working in isolation and that they feel, you know, like unsupported or whatever. Like that happens a lot. And, I mean, it makes the moments where you get that feedback, where you get to share the good news, where you get to, like, show people the thing you were working on, whatever it is, it makes those feel really powerful. And, like, that can be a huge motivating force. But, like, you can't – that can't be all that sustains you. You know what I mean? And so when I – like, I often balk at, you know, oh, I just loved this book, you know, when I see it, you know, posted because it's like – there's so much more to it than feeling, right? There's decision, you know? Like, you have to decide that even when this doesn't feel good, I am invested in this thing succeeding. And that's a like that's the kind of thing that means you do the horrible last 10% to get the thing across a finish line, right? Like, I yeah. feel like so many times when I'm working on pitching or a deal or something, even when the pitching is going well, like... The goal line work is hard, man. Like, not to use, like, a football metaphor, but, like, once you get down in that red zone, the yards get harder to get. And you've got to be willing to really kind of put your, you know, your back into it a little bit. And it's, it can be hard. And even on the stuff that's going well, and you have to be willing and you have to be able to work on this stuff when it doesn't feel good, you know? So now that we've talked about all the ways that love is super important in our jobs, Let's talk about why we hate that term. Yeah. Because uh, I think you and I both agree that it is, I, like, I don't have language to better <coughs> express what it is that I mean when, you know, we just spent, like, half an hour talking about what we mean when we say that we love something. Um, 
but I hate it. <laughs> well, it's because the connotations are magical unicorns. You yeah, know? and like, and it what it what it does is it like it's not it's it. I feel like it's sort of putting the pressure on the writer and on their work yeah. to you know per and and to and it and it like if we don't love something the implication is like well something's wrong with your work which is like not, not true, true. <laughs> it's just it's not true and also <clears throat> the 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 use of the word love in publishing i think like agents should be particularly careful about how we use that and in what situations that we use it yeah. because um we don't want to communicate that like there's there's a sort of like perfect like sort of artsy whatever like yeah. we are we are business partners yeah. and if you know the only the only term that we have i think you know as as book lovers yeah. is love but it 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 does weird things to like the power and writer's concept of like what it means for their book to be successful well it's because how many i mean i just think again like how many words in the english language carry more connotations and personal connotations and associations and experiences and other feelings both good and bad that a person might have than hearing the word love right you know what i mean like and so everyone who hears that is going to have some sort of conception of what that means and it's almost certainly not what the person who's using it means off the top of their heads right like and i i guess just like even beyond that the thing that drives me nuts about it is it just makes it it flattens the process into a set of very simple feelings right like it says and things that you can't work towards and strive for and research yeah, on exa- yeah exactly yeah. it's like how do i because it, then what ends up happening it's exactly what you're saying you have writers trying to manufacture love like on the page and it's like you can't do that because they're what they're describing is not that you know and it's something else that they aren't saying which they not that they have to say it but like it's just this completely slippery and ephemeral feeling that isn't it's not replicable in any sort or it's not like gener it's not able to be generated in the way that anyone would want to because if we f- could figure out how to like if I knew how to like make editors love things like that <laughs> on command I would sell I would be you know I would sell everything right away it would be very my job would be very easy and the same would be true for writers you know we can't but, even get people to like <clears throat> read things some of the time. <laughs> yeah. If I could yeah. make certain people just pick up the phone, that would be an equally be monumental wonderful. task. Um, yeah. And, and you know, like, we should be careful yeah. about it. You know, and now I'm thinking, it's like, do I have the word love in one of my, like, forum rejection letters? Because even though it is yeah. saying a true and correct thing, when we're saying when we're using the word love and falling in love with a book and a work and a piece of art like we are the point where the transition goes from art to business yeah like our our position our responses in that is when that happens and i think you know like as i move further through my career i want to be pointing towards the business more rather than sort of engaging in that like in a lot of ways in that artistic language because 
if I am the transition between art and business and I am engaging with language that's only in the art side, what that's doing is it's um, it's keeping writers sort of out and understanding that they have the power and that like there's this weird yeah. ephemeral feeling in language that is not professional and not, you know, anything and is inexact. Oh, that's actually I was, I yeah. was about to say exact. Yeah. Because the, like at the end of the day, the problem with the term is, I mean, we've listed a bunch of feelings and things like that. But the problem with it is that it's inexact, is that it yeah. doesn't actually describe anything real. And if it like it would be more interesting, I think, when we're useful for, you know, people to drill into what they mean when they say they love, you know, something that they're working on. Because, I don't know, it would make all of our not only would it make all of our jobs easier and in a way that doesn't would really wouldn't seem to hurt anybody, right? Like we, everyone would just have more information and more of a conception yeah. of what's actually happening. But also, it would just be more interesting. Like I, when people say, "Oh, I loved," like I want to know about, like for instance, if I told, if I like made you watch my favorite movie or something. Well, you made me you, watch you. I'm watching you on Netflix, which feels <clears throat> like the same thing. And it's like if you said, <laughs> and if you said. <laughs> And even I, you know, or anyone, like if you shared something that's important to you with someone and they came back and said, oh, I loved it, that might feel good for a second, but you'd want to know what they mean, right? Mm. Like, what about it? Like, what, which parts, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And that's how I feel whenever I which see Which I would say does happen on the call when you want to sign something, but yeah. when you don't love it, you also should talk about yeah. that no, it's, too. It's just an inexact term that I think yeah. makes it feeds into the fundamental social media feeling of everyone is having a wonderful story storybook romance with the industry besides you and yeah. that is not happening and i yeah even when it's going well it doesn't always feel like that and in fact how it feels isn't really the substance of the thing at all you know yeah and it's like laura decided that she could read this book 8 times and she yeah. actually wants to like talk to a human being about it there you go. Like, like there, there. That that was a very boring way of describing exactly what your responsible, competent, you know, skilled I mean. job is. That is what you yeah. know what I mean. Like there it is, and that sounds that's way that takes up a lot of characters. It's hard to tweet that. It sure, and it and it, but, and it feels <laughs> like it's not passionate, but it is. It really is. You, <laughs> like, do you know how hard it is for yeah. me to like be excited enough to like text Eric? In a way that, like, I know he won't respond for, like, a day. Yeah. And then, like, it'll mostly just be, like, a cute picture of, like, his dog. Yeah. You know, like, that's a big step. <laughs> that's a big step. That is a big step. I text better than that. Hold on. You now, do. You now I'm do. hung up on what you think my texting habits are. I th- I'm mostly, um, I'm mostly, I think, just harboring a little insecurity because I, I was, like, blowing up your phone when I yeah. started season three of you. And I did not <laughs> receive... The I didn't engagement. You back Maybe I was gone or something. Yeah, I, I love talking about you. Yeah, um, but uh, I just really wanted to talk about how like the main character absolutely cannot read anything published past 1950. Yeah, no, and why would he? Why would he? Um, but no, I mean, I'm just picturing like sending tweets about like book deal announcements and stuff. That instead of you know whatever flower thing we say, it's like. I won't hate sending emails about this. <laughs> it doesn't sound nearly as good, but that is yeah. often like. Which, like, and it's, I just, 
want to reiterate that that thing sounds very like low energy and not actually that invested. But that is that sounds makes, lovely to me. That is the <laughs> like, most invested yeah. a person yeah. working in publishing will ever be. Where it's yeah. like, will I spend the next two and a half years? Sending constant emails Typing about this, this book. Typing this title in all caps into subject lines. Will I hate doing that? Yeah. And if and if the answer is no, yeah. like that is a huge deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a huge deal. So I don't know. I, I, I find myself drilling into what it is that I mean by love and very disillusioned by my use of it and other people's use of it. And I, and there are places I do think it is important. Like I think that when you're announcing a book deal or that you like signed with somebody, I think it's a, like, I think that is a good place for an agent to be like, I loved this book. Here's why. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here, like, the here's why is the important the part. Here's though. why is the important thing. You're <clears throat> right about that. Um, but also like those posts generate, business like their business posts yeah right if i'm like posting specifically about why i loved this project on twitter and an editor sees it and they say i want it like that's me doing my job see that's actually the part that i wish everyone would admit right there about their social media presences as it relates to these announcements they're not effusing they're working i mean they're, they're both. trying to do things they're trying to hustle you do the posts like that because you and this isn't a bad thing but you're trying to generate something that it might be professionally useful to you like yeah. and <laughs> and all of that is like i think i think in that case it's when you say like i love a book to fellow readers yeah. and to future readers like that i think that is a good yeah. that is a good way to do it but um yeah i think i need to go through my query manager and and yeah. make sure that i'm not using that term. <laughs> i'm pretty sure that i am I'm pretty sure that I am using oh, it. Oh man, I hope but you are. These are these. I, I hope I mean, someone I'm, lights you on fire for this. I mean, it's it's. It, do you have a word in the English language that is a better shorthand for this? I certainly don't. But I am apparently oh. going to dedicate the rest of my life to finding it out. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this episode about love and also um, gelatinous cubes and Joe Goldberg. Um, yes. Please join us over on Patreon for all the stuff we talked about at the beginning of this episode. And we'll see you back here for our regular episode very soon. Bye.